Hello everyone, welcome to the New Humanist Podcast. I'm Damien and this is episode 32, the fourth of part five. The topic for today is the problem with Mary. All right, so Mary, the mother of God, as it is known within Catholic circles, I'm not sure if Protestants affirm that view, although technically she is the mother of God, given the fact that Christ was born into this world through her, right? She was the vehicle, right, who enabled, or the vessel, one would say, that brought forth God into this world. Of course, this is significant, again, for those who are religious, primarily those who are, how can I say, concerned about the specifics of the belief, right? I mean, in, in the sense, the problem with Mary, so to speak, is something that generally concerns Protestants. I think one of the fundamental divisions between Christians or within Christianity is on the question of Mary, right? Mary being a virgin and its significance. Uh, I mean, if one is to get into the specifics, and I'll just provide a brief outline here, one of the factors which divides Catholics and Protestants, the significance that is attached to Mary, okay? Now, leaving aside, leaving aside our sainthood, which is another matter altogether, the subject of saints and its significance, or the lack thereof, depending on what perspective you adopt. The problem with Mary is actually quite deep-rooted, right? It's significant for more reasons than one. Again, on the issue of her virginity, which I think is worth considering as a start, I mean, the divisions between Protestants and Catholics is that Mary was a virgin after she gave birth to Christ. Okay, so the doctrine is that Mary was a virgin when she conceived and, of course, gave birth to Christ whilst having had no contact with men. Okay, now, as the argument goes, Mary was a virgin, you know, of course, prior to conception. That's the miracle, right? That is the miraculous conception. But the dividing line is that once she gave birth to Christ, what happened to her then? A couple of things can be said here. What do you mean by her virginity? Is it a physiological thing? Is it a spiritual thing? Or is there some deep metaphysics that we don't understand? And I would say somewhere at that level, whether the physiology itself is pertinent to some extent or to a great extent, because the Protestant's view is that Mary and Joseph, right, her legal husband in this world, had a relationship, meaning they consummated their union after the birth of Christ. In fact, if you read certain types of Bible, certain Protestant versions, you would encounter the passages which basically say, you know, Mary and Joseph got together and, you know, and the whole thing transpired. In fact, some Protestants even go as far as affirming the view that, that Mary and Joseph had children afterwards, right? And James and John, I think as they were known, were supposed to be brothers of Jesus Christ. So Mary basically had other children after Christ was born. Now, the point is that this is significant with respect to Christianity in a broader sense because it pertains to the value that is attached to the motherhood of the mother of God. Now, it's important because it is affirmed by the Catholic faith, it's affirmed by the Catholic Church, it is a doctrinal teaching, in many ways quite central, and it's in many ways a defining characteristic of the Catholic faith. The broader question of the Church and its institution, etc., tends to be viewed in relation to Mary and Christ, and there's a lot that goes into it. But fundamentally, the main dividing line is that Catholics believe that Mary was a virgin after she gave birth, right, and essentially remained a virgin without consummating a relationship with Joseph. And Joseph was a faithful husband, let's say, right? Protestants don't affirm that view. Now, with respect to our discussion, right, with respect to the question about humanism, okay, which is why we are here, what is the problem with Mary? Now, this series, this particular part, engages the anti-humanism of Roman Catholicism. And in a broader sense, we're looking at negative aspects of the faith that make things difficult for the faithful, for those who believe in the teachings of the church, and for Christianity more broadly, and by extension, to the world. So, as a listener, presuming that you're an atheist or a secularist or someone who doesn't care about religion, okay, you might be wondering, hey, what does it matter to me? Okay, who cares 
what people believe about Mary. Who cares whether she's a virgin or not? Who cares if she's ever virgin or she remained a virgin after giving birth, right? What do these things matter to me? And the answer is not much, at least at first, okay? But when you go deeper into the subject, when you look at it for its cultural, institutional, sociological significance, I want us to consider that Western culture is fundamentally Christian, okay, historically anyway. Whilst it's secularizing, it's becoming more secular now, historically, Western culture has had, and I think it still has, a very Christian perspective, okay? I mean, I don't know about you, just to give you an example, just the other day, I was watching The Crown, right, the famous, well, popular show, right, about the British monarchy, right? And the main character, right, the girl who plays Queen Elizabeth II, I think, in the first two seasons, her name, her name is Claire Foy, and in one of the episodes, I think, in the first or second season, I can't remember, basically, she's taking a photo shoot of her in her royal regalia, right? She's dressed up proper. I mean, they're not dressing up, they're really, that's their authentic attire, royal clothes, the crown, and the beautiful jewelry and everything. You know, I don't know about you, but you just get this feeling, man, there's something about them, right? I mean, again, I'm not a monarchist per se, but there's something very likable, very desirable, right? very, I don't know, beautiful, for the lack of a better word, about the monarchs, right? And in this case, particularly, this English actress, you know, playing Queen Elizabeth in younger years, there was something angelic, right, if I may use that word, just looking at her. There's something about these kings and queens, and again, in this case, Queen Elizabeth had this presence, this beauty and also purity, right, if that even makes sense, a certain kind of holiness that comes with it. Now, interesting now, when I was thinking about this episode, especially now, there is this connection, there is this correlation, okay? Mary is revered because she's someone special. She's not just a vehicle for bringing Christ into this world. She's not just some entity that was, you know, selected and just to serve a certain functional role. There's more to her. She's revered for that reason. And in, in certainly in Catholic circles, Mary is considered a queen, right? She's a queen of heaven, right? So my point here, listener, is that I'm not just... What I'm trying to do here is not to bash Mary, right? Not to adopt a crude Protestant approach of basically dismissing her and to say she's not important and to ignore the deeper significance that she has. I mean, there's a reason why many Catholics revere her, right? I don't as much, let's say, I mean, oh, at least I didn't. The worship of saints was never my thing. Of course, a listener, in case he or she's listening for the first time, I'm humanistic, but I do have a religious heritage, something which I still value. Right, coming to the question of Mary, right, and the problems with her. Now, we need to sort of get past some of the concerns, right? That, you know, the outward, or how can I say? Although that is also connected to this critique, and let's not, I would not disassociate it completely. But there are certain things about her which are valuable, which are beautiful, right? I mean, the analogy that I just used, as people in the Western world, and certainly in many parts of Europe and so on, value the monarchy, right? We want to see something beautiful. Certainly in my family, you know, the British monarchs, kings and queens, they're taken seriously, right? Even though, you know, they are worlds apart, you know, they're, you know, different. But there's something about them that draws us to them. Even, say, what's her name? Camilla Pockables, right? She's she's disliked. She's not, she's almost hated, if that even makes sense, just because she's like a person of value and significance, right? We can see how this comes, but nonetheless, she's also admired because she's, you know, part of that, that family. And, and my point is, listener, is that there is some special goodness that's attached to, in this case, Mary, who represents these things, this greatness, this a certain kind of beauty. However, however, therein lies the problem, okay? So what is the problem with Mary? And here I will outline three factors, basically conjunction with others. So you see how this works out. So have an open mind, listener, but also be prepared. Things might get a bit heavy in the course of this episode. All right, so the problems with Mary. One, Mary is a virgin, but she's not a girl. Two, Mary is a saint, but not a woman. Three, Mary is holy, but not sexy.
Okay, so what am I getting at here? So let's break this down one at a time, okay? So first, Mary is a virgin, but not a girl. What do I mean by this? First off, the talk that Mary is a virgin is very central to Catholic experience. Her value, her significance as a virgin is upheld, right, and extolled. It's celebrated. Mary's significance. The fact that she's a virgin is highly emphasized, highly spoken of. And you and I know, we all know what the term virginity means. What does it mean? It means purity. It means something that's untouched, right? Something that's very real, very, how can I say, not tainted by the evils and, and corruption and all that is wrong about this world, okay? Now, that is the presentation. Okay? So, clearly, that's something good, okay? However, in the real world, that is not how things are. See, a person might be a virgin, say in this case a girl, obviously, but she's also girl, meaning she's a real human being. She has the potential for other things, okay? Being a virgin is not an ever state. You know, you don't remain a virgin all the time, of course, unless you want to become a nun, etc. But the point being is that the idea of being a virgin is not a permanent state. It's not meant to be a permanent state, okay? That is the irony. That is the appeal. To be a virgin is good, but the idea is so that it, it draws people to her. It makes her more desirable. Right? I mean, this is, might be a bit cynical, but I think men have this, but the idea of being with a girl who's a virgin it is more appealing than the one who isn't. My point is, the idea of virginity is appealing. It's desirable. And in fact, I need to be politically correct in terms of how I position this, but the idea of having deflubbered a virgin right, is like an accolade, right? I remember once reading the story about this guy, right? He's a big Casanova kind of person, right? And he was basically boasting about his, uh, what is it word? Conquest, if that's the term. And he was basically saying how he, quote-unquote, deflubbered five virgins in a week, apparently, right? And he was so good with women, etc., right? The question is why? Why is virginity so important? Now, I understand this. It is important, clearly, right? But it is important because it can be taken away. It can be experienced or it can be lost, broken, okay? But in a paradoxical sense, therein lies its appeal. A virgin is valued and respected because she has that potential. Okay, just having it with her forever and ever, right, is not appealing. Now, speaking of the royal family, the fact that we mentioned this, you know, we all know, we ought to know, some of us, that Princess Diana, when she got married, right, she was a virgin, right? She was young, I think she was 19, basically. Charles was a bit older, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was the arrangement, was it not? And it's a fair conjecture that basically applied to other monarchs of old. And that's convention, okay? So that was the norm, virginity and purity, etc. But its potentiality is recognized when it's consummated in relationship, in a... Before we get to relationship, it's an idea of pursuit, it's an idea of desire, the desirability, criteria one has to consider in this debate. So when it comes to Mary, right, the mother of God, the mother of Jesus, she's adored, she's respected because she's a virgin, good, but she is not a girl in the sense that she's not desirable, okay, she's not appealing, okay, because she's, you know, a virgin, but she's got to be a virgin forever, okay, that part can be tainted. Now, again, to not dismiss the on the ontological significance, that's it, her being as a virgin is important at one level, but it is not enough. It is not good enough, okay? What use is there for a virgin to be perpetually virgin? It's like the Vestal virgins in Rome, right? It's probably something akin to that, right? But it is good, but it, it has no appeal. What is the point? I mean, it's like you're in a room, let's say, that's a beautiful young girl, right? And she's a virgin as well. And you're there in her presence and everything is fine. You can talk to and do everything, but 
the idea of physical intimacy beginning is completely negated. The moment you get close, there's some kind of a barrier, let's say, that comes up, or some kind of a heat a negation that prohibits or impedes any further progression. You're just sitting there looking at her and worshipping her and whatever, adoring her, but nothing happens. It becomes purely platonic, right? So the potentiality is negated. And this is a problem. Why? The idea of a girl being a virgin is valued, but her being a girl with potential, right, that is desirable, is negated. So there's a logical precursor to how these things come through. The virginity part is valued, but the idea of being lost or being taken or being had in a relationship is not. And that is in a specifically religious context. So Mary is good, but not good. She's a virgin, fine, but there's no potentiality. There's no desirability. Okay, that's a key point here. Okay, she's virgin of virgins, right? But there's nothing about her that's appealing to most, certainly not men. That is a problem. Again, now listen, just to be aware, the problematic character of this first point will become evident as we work through 1, through 2, 3. Okay, so now on to the second one. Mary is a saint, but not a woman. So now we're getting close. Okay, what do I mean by this? A saint in the Catholic world is someone who is holy, right? Someone who doesn't do bad things. Someone who values their goodness. Someone who wants to, in Christian parlance, we say as who wants to serve God, right? He or she lives their life for the sake of their maker, okay, in a life of faithfulness and holiness and purity. Ah, okay, so we're getting there again, so we can see how this circles back. The idea of virginity is exalted. I mean, for the record, most of the saints in the Catholic world have been, like, not monogamous. They've been essentially chaste or virginal, meaning they have not had relationships where they've actually physically consummated. If you look at the apostles and so on, they don't sound like family men, okay? You don't hear about their personal lives and so on. And even their range of experiences uh, seem very limited. Like, for example, you read the Gospels and certainly the letters of St. Paul and all the, like, the Peter, James, and so on. They have very little to say about family, right? Besides, you know, having prescriptive laws prohibiting and inhibiting uh, human conduct on how people should or ought to behave. There's very little on the experiential side. They're good people, they're servants of God, they're followers of God, but it lacks a lived component, okay? Now, coming back to Mary, why is this significant? Why is this important? Now, with Mary, what we need to consider is that her being a virgin is the first point, not being a girl, we know that, but now her sainthood is that she's, like, permanently in that state. She's, like, holy, good. Bearing in mind that she's also a virgin, so she's a saint, meaning she's nothing that, nothing that can come near her. But the problem with that is that, you know, that is not realistic. A woman, okay, now think of this, folks, just work this out in your mind. A girl, just look at the, the terms themselves, a girl and a woman, right? One way of looking at this is the term girl implies purity and holiness, something that's untouched, okay, if you get my drift, in a good way. But a woman is something else. The term woman means something more. She's lived, she's grown, she's experienced, she's mature, at least to an extent, okay? So she's, in other words, has had a lived experience. She has gone through things, she has done things, okay? But the word saint, in my view, doesn't seem to correspond to that, okay? Because the word saint, in, to me, implies a life of just living, not doing anything, right? You're trying to be a saint, okay? You want to be you know, living a saintly life, but that implies inaction, right? Or the lack of initiative, right? Because, after all, sainthood, fundamentally, in a moral sense, pertains to not doing evil, not doing wrong, not doing things which should, that are morally compromised, right? Not... Okay, not living, not taking risks, because it also implies, it also implies not living life to the fullest. It also implies not taking chances, not taking risks, not doing things, not experiencing things, not pursuing things, okay? It's like you're living, you know, I mean, most probably the most notable example here would be those who live in a cloister. These nuns, who are, I think they're called cloistered nuns, the Carmelite order, which is an order within the Catholic Church for nuns. These people just lock themselves away, and they don't do anything. 
of course, they lead a prayer life, a very strict life of sacrifice and so on, but nothing's happening, right? They're not doing anything. They're not going out. They don't have friends. They don't, they don't even, some of them are closed or they can't see their faces and stuff like that. You know, the diet is restricted. You know, they can't listen to music as far as I know. They can't even see, they can't meet men, obviously. And you got to ask yourself, what does that accomplish? What does that achieve or attain? Now, again, you can say, oh, well, this is a spiritual dimension. Again, I do believe there is a spiritual, there's a deeper personal growth, which they speak of. But again, what does that signify, right? What does that even mean at the end of the day? Does it really achieve or attain things? Does it really pertain to growth? Okay, it, there is growth, I guess one could argue, right? In the idea of sainthood, meaning to lead a pure holy life, but it is not one that pertains to accomplishment, okay? You're accomplishing things by not doing anything, right? You're doing things by, by not doing things, but not wanting to do things. That is the problem here, okay? So a lot of these saints basically are just mystics, right? They go off to some weird place, like an alien environment, like a, I mean, the seminary, right? That itself is like a this place which is closed off to the rest of the world, okay? A lot of these monks and mystics and so on, they have these strict orders, and then they basically take you away, they break your connection with the rest of the world, with the real world, one could say, right, of matter, of interaction, of organizations, achievements, and ambition, purpose. I guess the worst example here would be, or the most extreme example would be the financial madness of Wall Street or Hollywood, okay? So these guys are totally removed from it in the idea of pursuing sainthood or holiness. But the problem here is, now going back to my question about Mary, is that that implies inaction, that implies a lack of initiative, that implies a lack of want or desire you just content being nothing by doing nothing okay there's nothing that is achieved or attained you're not going for things you're not pursuing things okay and in context of mary she's a saint but she's not a woman what do you mean by a woman a woman who has done things who's grown who has learned who has gone out who has made friends who has had relationships broken up been there done that right the more negative sense that she's been around the block so to speak again that is not necessarily and i don't mean that in a demeaning way right that's life okay you gotta do things and that's how you grow. The problem here, and it goes back to my first point about virginity, is that virginity in this case becomes an inhibitory factor. If you're a young girl, you, you, your whole life is about being a virgin, right? Trying to be like Mary. You're not going to do anything, okay? You're just going to be stuck in one place. You'll be closed off to the rest of the world. You will not meet men, right? Usually a consequence of upbringing and environment. Like what we get in many parts of the Islamic world, right? And we all know what's happening there. My point is that this is not ideal. It is not the best way forward, okay, for society in context of development and growth, okay? Now, of course, we all know, you know, women have to be protected, taken care of, but I do sense something inhibitory, something restrictive, something disempowering about this. And in fact, this is something you hear a lot in Catholic circles now, the idea of sainthood, to be saints. We are called to be saints. But what does that mean? It means not doing anything. It means running away from the world. It means limiting yourself, right? If your fear is sin, if you have a fear of falling, a fear of immorality, a fear of fornication, right? That's the big concern in religious circles, right? The need to be chaste. If that is your governing modus operandi, you're not going to do anything with your life. You'll be just stuck in one place. You're not going to grow. You're not going to aspire. Because life is a messy process. To achieve and attain things, to grow as a person, you need to do things. And of course, sin is going to be present. It's ever present, really. I mean, frankly, this whole idea of sainthood, which I'll get into in a future episode in another part, is very problematic, right? And in fact, the sainthood as a concept is a bit, the many issues actually, it's actually self-defeating in some ways. But my point here with respect to Mary, Mary's a saint, good, but she's not a woman. And you look at her life, I mean, again, the Bible has very little to say about her, but she doesn't do anything, right? Other than the fact she gave birth to Christ and then she was faithful to her husband and whatever. But she didn't do anything. Unlike, say, a woman in the modern world, a lot of them have to take care of their own families. They have to work. They have to grow. You know, even in a relationship, you know, women, you know, are independent these days. They do all kinds of things. And the husband breaks up or something. And Mary had it easy, by the way, right? I mean, husband was ever faithful to her. And, you know, she had a husband who was there, presumably till the end. And so on. So that is not the real world anymore. 
So this idol of Mary, right, which is, I think which is what I'm getting at here, of someone who is a saint, right? Everything's perfect, but she's not a real person, okay? She has, she's done nothing, so to speak, right? I mean, you know, the idea of raising children, I mean, the idea of, you know, can she raise Jesus Christ, obviously, but my point is that none of the challenges of work, of commitment, she doesn't seem to have a person with hope or aspiration, right? She doesn't have ambition. Women today have aspiration, they have ambitions, okay? Not only in an economic sense, but also in a relational sense, okay? They, you know, they're with a guy and he's okay, but then women, you know, they, you know, they want better things. I mean, for example, take the divorce rates today. Women divorce men at a higher rate, mainly because they want better things. They want a better life. Now, that may not necessarily be a good thing. It may not necessarily be saintly in its character, but that is the nature of life. It's about growth. And there has to be something appealing, something spiritual to that framework, okay? Because the model that is provided via Mary is one of inaction, right? One of contentment. Contentment for nothing, for settling for very little, right? Basically, essentially what we're getting at here for women, I think, is... To be a Mary is to be like a housewife, you know, who doesn't want anything, you know, is content with a husband who obviously, presumably, is a faithful guy, and everything is going to be committed to her till the end of days. But the point is that there is something limiting, something restrictive about this presentation, and that is a problem. Okay, point number three. Mary is holy, but not sexy. All right, folks, this... Okay, now, just bear in mind, I mean, I hope when I'm saying this, I don't intend anything that's blasphemous or blasphemous, I don't know how you pronounce the word, but anyway... This is not to, in a way, break down or tear into the person, but it is to make this observation that Mary is someone who is upheld in our culture, right, in our society, as this holy moral paragon that we all have to value and respect and adore, okay? But I do find things which are problematic about this. And this particular issue, right, of her holiness stands apart or stands in contradistinction to her lack of sex appeal, okay? Now, again, I know these things sound weird, but it is important for us to consider why this is important. Going back to my earlier point about the royal family, okay, about the monarchs in Britain, right? I mean, they stand for something. They represent something, right? There's, there's an ideal, okay, which we are called to aspire. Okay, we're not going to be like them, but we want to be like them. The problem with Mary in this regard is that her, the idolization, right, her elevation is somewhat significant. Well, it's good, fundamentally, again, in comparison to a queen, right, beautiful, everything is there. But the problem with her is that her holiness, which is central to our being, right, that she's a virgin, she's pure, she's without sin, whatever, maybe she is, I don't know, to an extent. But the point is her sainthood renders a certain quality, a certain character, which unfortunately, from where I stand, means that it also robs her of other things, notably her womanhood, right, her femininity, right, her sexuality. All these things are absent. They are conspicuously absent. Okay? They are purposefully absent. And this is a problem. Why? Because life doesn't work this way. Women are not holy. Women are not virgins. Women are not valued solely for their saintly, holy character. That is significant to an extent, but that is not life. Okay? You can't expect women to, be, to live like this. Okay? And more pertinently, you can't expect men to find such women desirable. Think about this for a second, right? I mean, if a woman wants to be like Mary, the most logical outcome is for her to become a nun, okay? And, you know, and you become a nun, you're not going to get anyone. Men are not going to want you, you're not going to desire you, be covering your head. You're like one of these, you know, I don't want to draw the comparison here, but the point is that it is not a desirable condition. It is not something that's likable, okay? It's like in a relationship, right? I mean, or the precursors to a relationship. How do relationships happen? There's an element of desire, there's an element of attraction, right? There's an element of want, and as 
things move forward, as things escalate, one could say, right? The physical dimension becomes significant, or it was always significant, but it becomes more significant, right? I mean, use the most obvious example, it's like a, you know, lingerie parade, right? I mean, for example, you have these fashion shows, right? Why do they advertise this lingerie? Why is it such a big deal? We know what they're trying to do. They're trying to sell clothing, yeah, but it is clothing with a certain purpose. They are trying to sell you the idea, right? The idea of something sexy, something desirable. Both parties benefit from it. I mean, it's not just a one-way thing. Men, of course, we visual creatures, we like to look at women in sexy attire. But women like it too. They like to be present in it, right? I mean, think about this, right? I mean, if a girl is hot and whatnot, right? She's able to attract men, a lot of men, many men, okay? Sometimes good quality men. And that makes her strong, makes her being desirable to men is a source of empowerment, as opposed to someone who's completely ignored, okay? And in fact, I'm, I'm starting to suspect now that a lot of the people who are like this holy, pure people, a lot of the usually religious circles or pure religious people, their holiness and their purity, so to speak, I mean, it has a religious connotation, no doubt, because they are the ones who tend to be religious more so. It seems to underlie or seems to mask certain weaknesses. I mean, just a lack of sex appeal, maybe just a lack of desirability. In fact, I, this is something I think I've written about this. Is that you know, the people who are like religious, you know, and so on, they're not the most, they're not the hottest people, okay? I mean, women who go into religious life are not sexy, okay? You know, you're not gonna see a girl who's, you know, runway potential who could become a supermodel, you know, walking down the walkways of Milan, Paris, and London. You're not gonna see that. The people who do so are a certain, of a certain type. Hence, the idea or the ideal of Mary as holy, as virginal, right? As as a saint, it becomes appealing, but it's appealing for the wrong reasons. Not because they want to become like her and idolize the beauty, but it's because of inherent weaknesses that drives them in that direction. So, returning to the question about Mary, her being holy, which is good, I guess. I mean, we all want an ideal of a moral paragon of virtue. Good. But it is not enough. Okay, because life is not like that. The real saint or the real heroes of life are the ones who live it, who do things, who, who experience things. I mean, you, know, you need people who live, who give. You see, this is the thing, folks, critically, I think what I'm getting at here is what kind of contribution do you make to society? To be holy and to be a saint and to be a virgin means you just do nothing, okay, ideally, right? You know, you just lock yourself up in a room and you're a virgin. No man's ever going to see you, you're a virgin, technically, right? And if you want to be a saint, again, you don't do any harm, you just don't do anything bad. You just sit there and, of course, you know, your mind has to be controlled, so I guess you're, you're meditating the whole time. You just starve yourself and whatnot, you just put yourself on enough pressure and then your mind will just... You become like one of these mystics, or you like these Buddhist monks, for the record, right? Like these, you know, people who meditate for ages and become like, then you're a saint, because you're not doing anything bad. Is that a good thing? I don't know. And then finally, to be holy. Again, these things work logically, but again, it presupposes inaction. It presupposes inactivity. It presupposes the predilection to not want things, to not do things, to not experience things. And then you're somehow holy, right? And good, right? And this is a problem. This being idolized, certainly within the Catholic world, takes us, robs us, certainly robs women, I think, of a, a more realistic idol, okay? You know, one who is capable, brave, beautiful, and sexy, right? And who does things, right? Who lives, as opposed to someone, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to tear Mary down here, Madonna, right? The mother of God. But it's what she stands for. It's simplistic and it's reductive and we need something new. And this is important for men, especially, because if you're a guy, right? And if you view womanhood, right? Or womankind, through this lens of what? Of virginity, holiness, and sainthood, right? Virginity, sainthood, and holiness. You're going to lose out on a girl, the pursuit, the idea, the desire, the passion, okay? Then a woman, which is relational, right? It's about building something, and relationships are a work in progress. It's about growing, it's about learning, it's about breaking up and making up, right? It's about pursuing newer avenues, pursuing someone else, okay? And finally, you know, holiness, the converse of that is that 
the lack of again the sexiness is, is obviously pertains to sex or the relational pertains to not just the physical aspect but it is also desire it's also about objectivity and beauty and the aesthetic aspect as well and this is something i didn't speak of but i will do so going forward is that you know mary as mother and virgin etc is completely devoid of an element of sexiness right and that is an aesthetic implications because we lack a sensual an artistic a beautiful component right i mean the idea of mary is just motherhood and virginity and and that's it right there's no beauty there's no pageantry there's no there's no element of desire right nothing to make you want things right if you're a guy i mean this is important right i mean what makes men do things right why do men seek fortune and fame partly it's because they want to do well with women right including me obviously everyone who's heterosexual and and that is also negated when you have this person who's just a virgin and a mother you know what what am i supposed to make of that right you just you're losing on both counts right she's a mother but you're not going to be the father she's a virgin but you're not going to get into her you know what what is the point of all this so listeners so this is something for us to think about i mean there's much more i can get into but this is sort of a criticism of mary but not exactly a critique it's not her per se it's what we made of her okay why it's what has become of her ideal and what it implies for culture i mean use one simple example why are beauty patterns still popular certainly in the developing world i think even in europe and think in countries like italy and so on it's a big deal and the girls on those beauty patterns are not virgins or at least they don't carry themselves in that but if you get my drift right they're there to communicate their sex appeal and their beauty right and it's something which you do not find in mary and that is a problem all right folks this is the new humanist podcast i'm damien this is episode 32 the fourth of part five and see you guys next time Thank you.